Right now, though, you're probably used to seeing dogs being taken for a walk in your local neighbourhoods. Might have even seen a cat. But what about a llama? If you saw a llama walking down the main street of Tawa in Wellington, well, chances are it's owned by a local Stephen Mulholland. Stephen likes to share his beloved alpacas and llamas and even something called a guanaco with the public. And that includes taking some of them to the local library for residents to enjoy. To tell us more, Stephen joins us now. Hello. Hello, good afternoon. Nice to talk to you today. Uh, When did you develop a fondness for llamas? Well, ironically enough, it was what brought me to New Zealand because, well, not that in particular, but when I moved to New Zealand, I wanted to try small farming and I did a bit of research and I said, well, alpacas and llamas look like a lot of fun and, you know, you only live once, so have a little fun. (laughs) Okay, so what did that look like? Well, I mean, part of it was, you know, in theory, we could make money on it, but at the end of the day, the main activity was that if you're going to work with farm animals, working with a farm animal that is intelligent and interesting was fun. And very quickly, I was like the, oh, well, you know, they take to halter and lead quite well. And well, if you want to train them, a good way to train them is walking down the main street, because then they get used to cars and people and dogs and all Mm -hmm. sorts of stuff. And shortly, what I noticed is you walk a llama or an alpaca down the street, and just the spontaneous smiles you get on people's faces. And it's the simple matter of it's like the, well, if I can be having a good time and I can just bring a moment of transcendent joy to any random stranger on the street, yeah. why shouldn't I? Rare enough that, I mean, people stop and uh, pat dogs, but uh, a llama, I guess, rare enough that you would uh, take a bit of a closer look and, and maybe take a pat. They're pretty beautiful animals. Um, w- w- tell me about the property that you're on. What sort of area have you got? got a bit over 10 hectares of farmland and we're up one of the nice little steep rural valleys of North Wellington. And how did you learn to be a llama farmer? Um, I'm actually a scientist by training. So I'm like, hey, give me books. I like reading books. So you start with books, you find, you go to seminars and also you just get stuck in and do it. And, you know, you make mistakes at first and you don't do dumb things, but eventually you know, you and the animal are learning together and learning to trust each other together, and you get there in the end. What's the difference between a llama and an alpaca? Well, they're different species, though they're very closely related, and the llamas were bred to be big. So you're talking 150 kilos. A really big one could be 200 kilos. Big, strong frame can carry packs. And up in Andes, they were the transport animal for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, the alpaca was bred for a super fine fleece from which they made just sumptuous garments. And like, if you go back to the Incan empire, they had sumptuary laws of what level of fabric you were allowed to wear based on your social class. And like the highest level people had the finest fabrics. How many animals do you have now? Uh, right now about 45. Oh, that's plenty. Yeah. It's, it's good and fun, and they all, they're intelligent enough to have personalities, and people often ask, like, well, how smart are they? And invariably, they compare them to a dog. But that's kind of a tough comparison, because dogs co-evolved with humans, and it's like, humans were pack-hunting predators, dogs were pack-hunting predators, so we kind of see the world in a similar way, and that's mm. why, you know, we're very simpatico. Llamas and alpacas... They're smart, but they see the world differently. And you have to kind of take a step back and like see the world through their eyes yes. and kind of respect the way they're looking at the world. And if you do that, you can get them to do a lot for you. Like, you know, 
go up a staircase in an office building to surprise someone. But, you know, you can't at the same time, you know, if you're talking 150 kilo llama, this is not compulsion. It has to be cooperation. There <laughs> has to be, you know, they have to do it with your consent because, you know, you're not going to pick up 150 kilo llama and just force it somewhere. And again, a lot of people aren't used to a pet that is bigger than them. Um, I've got so many questions. I want to make sure we cover what's a guanaco. What is a guanaco? Okay. So the guanaco is llamas and alpacas were domesticated from the guanaco and the vicuña, respectively. So llamas were domesticated from the guanaco. For most farm animals, we don't actually have the wild animal that they were domesticated from. So like cattle came from the aurochs, but the aurochs went extinct hundreds of years ago. But in South America, both the Huanaco and the Vicuña still live in large numbers up in the high Andes. And Huanaco do okay in zoos. So there were Huanaco who came to New Zealand in, through the zoo trade. And then spare animals got sold out, which got picked up by some of the llama owners. And a, a, a friend of mine down on the South Island endeavored to collect all the Huanacos he could together to start a breeding program. So Harvey, the Huanaco I took to the libraries, um, he has been genome sequenced and he is 100% Huanaco, which makes him both a wild animal and an endangered species um, protect, protected by the CITES, the Conventional on the International Trained in Endangered Species Act. So it is kind of fun to just walk up to, you know, these kids, the adults and say, do you want to paint, do you want to pet an endangered species? Mm -hmm. um, and again, he does really well considered, you know, 200 kids under the age of 10 coming up to pet him. And he gives me that side eye of, hey, boss, is this OK? This is really weird. But and, you know, while he's a wild animal, while he does have very distinctive behaviors, which are different than llama behavior, he's really smart and he can pick it up. And again, I respect him and I work cooperatively with him. And you learn to read their body language and, you know, the way they hold their head, the way they hold their ears they're saying a lot to you, even if they're usually silent. What do they do all day? Um, hang out, eat grass, stare at each other. Occasionally, if one of them gets too close to the other, maybe give, maybe give them a little spit. And I'm going to answer the question ahead of time, because you talk about llamas, everyone goes, do they spit? And my answer is always, do dogs bite? Mm -hmm. And which the answer is, well, they can, but they shouldn't do it to you. Mm -hmm. And like if a dog is biting you, the dog might be really angry, it might be really afraid, or it's been badly socialized. Same thing for a llama or an alpaca spitting on you. Um, 99 times out of 100 that I've got spat on, it's because I was in an enclosed space and two alpacas gave each other the look and said, all right, I'm going to have you. <laughs> and once they have a go at each other, they don't care that you're standing there. But generally, they are very well-mannered. And what a lot of people don't realize is they actually give a little warning before they spit, which is they tip their chin up. And if you look at them in the paddock, like if one of them is trying to muscle in and steal some hay from another one, he'll start tipping his chin up. And he's like, hey, mate, that's my hay. Back off or I'm going to give it to you. And if they don't, well, then it's all on. Is it true you've been hanging out at the local library? Going up and down Main Street and just saying hi to people, popping into the library is fun, and that's how I got drawn into doing some of the school holiday programs and things like that. But generally, it's a fun way to train the animal, and you know, also it's pretty well known up and down the streets of Tawa, and in the past, though COVID, of course, has caused confusions for this, um, I would bring animals down for the blessing of the animals at the uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in Wellington, 
which, you know, we hundreds of dogs and cats and one proud llama standing in the middle going, I'm much better than these dogs and cats. <laughs> uh, good. Do you break even on them, Stephen? Uh, generally, but, you know, the value of life is not counted in dollars. It's counted in the, these animals bring me joy. These animals bring other people joy. That's, that's worth more than numbers on a piece of paper. I keep accidentally rhyming today. Question for the llama farmer. Do you break even, Stephen? Um, tell me your favorite llama. You must have one or alpaca. Well, sadly, my favorite llama died of old age just a couple of years ago. And that's, it's the problem of having any pet. And llamas and alpacas can make it into their 20s, all going well. Um, but a lot of them are just such, they're just, the, this particular animal is the one who was dwelling cathedral again and again. Um, he was on the breakfast program with John Campbell. He's been all over the place. And now I'm looking at my other llamas going, so which of it you, which of you have it in your heart to be as awesome a llama as Hob was? Because Hob was the man. He was, he did everything. I mean, he wasn't a man anymore. He'd been snipped, but he was still the man. <laughs> uh, well, I look forward to hearing which one of those llamas takes their shot, Stephen. For now, thank you so much for telling us a bit more about your life as a llama farmer. 